What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am Hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And you have just stepped into my captain's quarters, my weekly gaming update show where I talk about my favorite gaming news topic of the past week, discuss what games I've been playing, give tips on some of those games, as well as issue a weekly relevant gaming related decree. This week, it's all about my initial thoughts on the Resident Evil 4 Remake, so let's talk about it and dive right into the episode, Catch of the Week. Gamers, this past week, one of my most anticipated games of the year finally released, and that is the Resident Evil 4 Remake. So just kind of give you guys some perspective as far as myself and a Resident Evil fan and Resident Evil 4 specifically, I have absolutely been in love with the Resident Evil franchise way back in 1998 is when I first was made fully aware of what the franchise was. And honestly, my first foray into what it was was actually the cover of the original game on a shelf in a blockbuster, my local blockbuster that I went to and Periodically, we get games and movies, obviously, and I always looked at that case. For whatever reason, I was drawn to it. Maybe it was the crazy-looking dude on the front cover that hilariously nowadays was supposed to be Chris Redfield, but he does not look or act at all <laughs> like that interpretation of him in that image is. Just, just look up the cover, the original cover to that original Resident Evil game, and you'll know what I'm talking about. But... In 1998, leading up to Christmas of that year, I was absolutely foaming at the mouth to get my hands on my own personal PlayStation. And I had seen advertised the original Resident Evil game and just never was able to play it, obviously. Well, that Christmas, I finally got a PlayStation, the original PlayStation. And very quickly, not as quickly as I would have liked, but for me at that age, at that time, Quickly enough, by the following summer in 1999, I finally was able to start playing Resident Evil as a franchise. And that just kind of began a love affair that has never ended for me. I have definitely liked certain Resident Evil games more than others. But over the years, you know, you can't have a favorite franchise or a favorite anything in any medium without having the good with the bad. And the same goes for me in Resident Evil. And when it came to Resident Evil 4 specifically, man, I was honestly initially very much torn down the middle. Because you see, I even though Resident Evil 4 was initially announced as an exclusive to the GameCube, the Nintendo GameCube, which I had. So there was no question of me being able to have access to the game or playing it or anything like that. But it was a situation where I, I felt a certain type of way and kind of confused with Capcom as to why they decided to leave and, and, in a sense, abandon PlayStation, as well as not even give the option for the Xbox gamers. And at the time, my preferred console of choice was the Xbox. And I just really wanted what the best possible quality was going to be graphically, technologically wise. I was just, I was really disappointed at the time. And then when you look at what Resident Evil 4 is and was, when you read the previews and see what was shown off at the time, I mean, this is a massive departure from what we as gamers, myself, had known at that point of what Resident Evil is. So 
when you get rid of completely, you know, your typical zombies and the zombie dogs and tyrants and hunters and all these kinds of different creatures and monsters and enemy types that have made Resident Evil liquor, you know, none of that is there. There's no mention of a T virus, a G virus, the Umbrella Corporation to an extent. So there's all these things. And really what seems to be in the marketing, the only point tying this game to Resident Evil as a franchise is the main character of Leon S. Kennedy, which I have to put out there, ever since I played Resident Evil 2, Leon S. Kennedy is, hands down, by far, not even a question, no thoughts needed, my absolute favorite Resident Evil character. And I know that's the case for a lot of Resident Evil fans out there, but he really is. I mean, I honestly played Resident Evil 2 before I ever played the original game. It was June of 99 when I played 2, and August of 99 when I finally got my hands on the director's cut of that original game. Regardless of reasons why or what the case may be, it is the fact that he is my favorite Resident Evil character since then and probably always will be. So outside of the tie-in of Leon, it really doesn't seem or look like a Resident Evil game to me. So I was kind of upset in that sense of like, man, you know, this is, it's got the Resident Evil name. It's actually a numbered entry, meaning this is like a, the next mainline Resident Evil game. But it looks like it's completely not anything to do with what I associate to be Resident Evil. Well, I got my hands on the game and ultimately I loved the game. I thought it was great for what it was. It was perfect for the time. It refreshed that Resident Evil series for not just the fan base, but also the average gamer at the time. Those that maybe wouldn't dabble into Resident Evil anymore because they weren't as big of a fan of Nemesis, the third game, as they were of Resident Evil 2 and so on. Code Veronica. Maybe they didn't play Code Veronica because they didn't have a Dreamcast and maybe they never played the PS2 port. Whatever the case may be, it was a game that attracted all gamers uh, of all interests and genres. And that was a, a huge step forward for the franchise, I felt like. Not only was it a step forward and a big deal for Resident Evil as a franchise, but it was also massive for the gaming industry. Because the thing is, is that over-the-shoulder third-person viewpoint did not exist in games until Resident Evil 4. That is why we have the games that have that camera angle that we do today. And for almost the last two decades, almost 20 years now since that game released, that is where that initially started, was in Resident Evil 4. And for a long time, we also had... I could do without this next piece here, but we had the letterbox. Like, we had the, the black bars at the top and bottom of the screens. I'm glad we moved on from that, but for a while... That was a big piece that was added in a lot of games at that time and in the near future after RE4's release. Ultimately, when the Wii came out and in that generation, they released the Resident Evil 4 game as a Wii version of it with motion controls. I thought it sounded really cool. I wanted to try it out with those controls. So I did pick it up on the Wii and I played through it a second time on the Wii. Over the years, they've obviously had HD remasters come out on the 360 and whatnot, PS3. But at that point, I'd already played the game twice, and I didn't really see the need to go back through and play it a third time, just with some updated visuals, maybe some tweaks here or there with different camera controls and angles and things like that. So for me, this remake was something I was looking forward to as far as playing this game again and playing it from a modern standpoint. But the biggest detriment that the RE4 remake had for me 
going into its release was the fact that this is not the remake that I wanted next in the line of Resident Evil games. After Resident Evil 3, I wanted the next chronological release, which happened to be Resident Evil Code Veronica. Now, that game released on the Dreamcast, and it released before Resident Evil 4 did, by years. So for me, it only made sense because it was the next game after Nemesis to release. It was older than 4, and at the end of the day, selfishly, it is arguably my second favorite Resident Evil game in the whole series, only to Resident Evil 2. So when Capcom announced that the next remake they were doing was Resident Evil 4, I was like, man, I am really upset right now because I want that RE Code Veronica remake so bad to be able to play that game in this modern technological state would be absolutely amazing. Thinking of all the different things that happened in that game, the places that you go, the story that was there, and how Capcom could fully capitalize on today's technology, oh my, it would be another masterpiece. You know, Resident Evil 4 has been out for a week now, and obviously I'm sure you guys have seen the reviews. It's gotten glowing reviews, mostly tens everywhere you look, and rightfully so. Getting to the point of what I wanted to do in this segment I have actually played roughly 15 hours of this game at this point, and I can tell you it is an absolute masterpiece. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that my review score when I do my review is going to end up a 10, but I can tell you there's not a lot that is making me question that score. So let me just say, as somebody who has played, and I, I put all this into perspective there, I've played through the game twice. I've played the Wii version of the game with motion controls, and here we are on a third version of this same game and this same story, albeit with new alterations and tweaks made. So ultimately, what are my thoughts so far in the first roughly 15 hours that I've put into Resident Evil 4 for the PlayStation 5? So again, for perspective, I am playing on a PlayStation 5. I opted to go with that version of the game over the Series X version because if you've listened to the show, you know I am a massive fan of the DualSense on the PS5 and just makes it just makes such a difference in my opinion when games actually utilize the functionality of that controller to its max potential and Capcom I feel has done an excellent job at doing this since the release of the PS5 with Resident Evil Village and the upgraded versions of Resident Evil 5 and 6 and also now with Resident Evil 4 one of the few third-party publishers that actually really fully tries to maximize the capabilities of that controller and that is why I chose to play on the PS5. So obviously, the, the most obvious thing that you're going to see as far as the difference of this game to the other versions of this game are the visuals. I mean, it's an absolutely stunning game. It's gorgeous. But I will say, there is something about the graphics that are, are, to, are left to be desired, I should say. And I don't mean that as a discredit to the game. I don't want people to be like, oh man, it's crazy. This is a gorgeous game. It looks amazing. And yes, it is and it does, but there are certain aspects of the visuals that are not as realistic as one might would think. I would say that some of the character models, like Leon specifically even, there's almost this plastic shine to the character models that almost, it just gives an unrealistic vibe to them. Now, there are other character models that are just like, holy cow, this is uh, an insanely detailed beard and just looks awesome. 
the facial animations are excellent. I can't say anything about the facial animations, but when you go into the, and not even just facial animations, but just the character animations in general. So overall, it, it's going to look great. I also thought there was some odd looking rain when it was raining at certain points in the game. I was like, huh, that's, it's very, uh, accentuated <laughs> the, the raindrops that is. So there is just certain things here or there that I questioned visually, but overall it is a gorgeous looking game and very, very nice uh, to, to enjoy with your eyes as you're playing through. Uh, it's one of the best controlling games I've ever played bar none third person action survival hard doesn't matter it's just there's a certain level of tightness to it that is just amazing so it, it feels and looks great and as you're going through playing this story and these locations that are there these are the same locations and the same basic plot line of what was in that original game but they have Capcom made some alterations and tightened up that story, expanded on it in certain areas, maybe eliminated some things here or there. But they've made it to where it makes more sense and you get to be at a better understanding of what actually is going on earlier in the game instead of kind of just what... It, in the original, you kind of felt like at certain points you're just going from you know this massive uh, scene to massive scene. Like, oh, what is this... Uh, key point that's going to happen now. Oh, it's a guy with a chainsaw. What's next? Oh, it's the lake monster. What's next? Oh, it's the giant that you fight in the quarry. You know, there's all these different like key points that you kind of build up to. And there's more context in this version of the game, which I absolutely love. I am a massive fan of context and depth. And Resident Evil 4, the remake, gives you plenty of that. And I am very appreciative of it. I will say that I do feel I have a better understanding of the game's story and the things that are going on in the world that the story takes place in this time than I did either of the past two times. Don't get me wrong. After completing the game the first time, I kind of was able to look back and be like, oh, okay. But I do think that there is a better sense of explanation that's given to you throughout the course of the early parts of the game than there were in those original versions. But I got to tell man, you know, there's just a lot of iconic things. I just mentioned a few of them that were from that original game that obviously they are back in this game that Capcom would have been crazy to take, take them out of this game. But when you look at those iconic set piece moments and you look at what you need in order to get past them, one thing Capcom has done, what I think is a right call on their part, is eliminated a lot of the excessive quick timer events that happened in the original game. Now, you got to understand when this game first released, it released at a time when quick timer events, I won't say they were necessarily new. But they were definitely kind of a big thing in gaming at the time where every game that released overdid them. And Resident Evil 4 was no exception. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still some quick timer events that pop up here as far as, oh, mash X to get the enemy off of you or, you know, to that effect. Or it pops up with, oh, press R2 to stab the person in the neck so you can get them off of you. There, there's things like that. But there's not like, hey, a scene is playing out. Press X real quick now. Now press circle. Now press triangle. You, you know, it's not set up in that way, which I think is a massively positive thing. It's much more modern feeling in that sense now. You can have quick timer events in modern gaming, but you just can't have them at every key set piece moment or just constantly throughout the game. You're going to wear out the player and it's just not going to be as fun, in my opinion. 
So when we look at other ways that you can get past obstacles such as enemies and whatnot, obviously it's the the armory, the weapons. And the weapons are pretty much the same ones that you would remember from the original release with your basic staples of handgun, shotgun, assault rifle, sniper rifle, all those different kinds of things, which, mind you, some of these weapon types, they did not debut in the series of Resident Evil until RE4. So again, just a lot of things that RE4 brought to the table. Obviously, the merchant is a massively popular character online. Everybody loves him, his accent. What are you buying? You know, all that good stuff there. I mean, it's just all these different little things that are are just so well associated with that original release. And for good reason. And I love the merchant in this game. And Capcom is really up the ante here with adding merchant requests that you can do for the merchant. Basically side quests, different things that he'll ask of you. And you can trade those requests in for spindles. And these are basically a form of currency that allows you to trade those spindles for whatever the asked of quantity is for certain things like maybe it's a new attache case. Maybe it's a different type of gun. You know, just different things like that. And they're worth it. They're things you can only get through that secondary system or secondary quest system by doing those requests for him. And they're pretty basic stuff. I mean, it's like, hey, here's a note on this wooden pillar telling me that in the next area, there's five blue medallions hanging around. I just need you to get rid of them for me. And I'll give you three spindles when you go to the next merchant shop location. You trade in the fact that you did these requests for me. I'll give you spindles for however many requests you did. So I love that addition. I think it adds some added replay value or just added content in general to the base game that was already there. And in addition to not just the request through the merchant, there's also just a ton of depth to what you can do with the attache case with the upgrading of your, not only the case itself, but also the weapons. The knife plays a much bigger role, in my opinion, in this game than it did in the original. Now, I will say I was massive, a massive fan of the knife, especially in the Wii version, because, you know, you're sitting there actually slashing away with the Wiimote as if you're actually slashing a zombie with the knife. But as far as the knife is concerned in this game, the fact it's not just upgrading the knife, it's also actually repairing the knife and you can purchase uh, repair depending on obviously how damaged your knife is depends on how much it costs to repair it but you can do that and I love that aspect of it because if you stay up on it you always have a knife now the game does offer you kitchen knives that you can pick up throughout the game world and those offer a quick fix too if you're getting into a scuffle and you get too close to a villager the prompt comes up or if you're doing stealth kills you can sneak up behind enemies and stealth kill them with the knife also pretty awesome. And just in general, the combat with the knife, I think, is is pretty nice and better done in this than it was in the original. So when it comes to combat, it's just awesome. And honestly, when you get a group of enemies and you really time and space things out really perfectly, and for me, that combination of handgun, knife, and melee, whoo, because if you get close enough, you can press X for an icon that pops up and melee, basically roundhouse kick by Leon, the villager and knock them on the ground and that'll either kill the weaker enemies or some enemies they will actually try to morph and have those long spinely tentacle looking things pop out of their heads and if you want to stop that from happening you can do a quick stab of the knife and it'll stop that and sever that at the neck area 
So just a lot of really cool variations on what the formula was ar- that was already there is. And I love it. I love everything they've added to this game. The just sense of exploration in the game, I also feel like, has been ramped up. And, you know, I, I don't feel like I could appreciate the setting in the original playthrough or even in the Wii version, to be honest with you. And this setting and this version of the game, this now third version that I'm playing through, I feel like more than any of the other two times that I played through it, I am just absolutely loving the setting of this game and the sense of isolation and remoteness of where you are. It's actually very, quite terrifying. Like I'm sitting there and I'm playing through and I'm walking through this forested area and I'm just like, wow, this is actually really terrifying. I didn't realize how scary this actually was back in the day, man, because I was too worried about it not being what I thought Resident Evil should be. And I'm very excited and happy and appreciative that I have kind of grown up in that way, that I am now more open-minded to differences and what used to be of a franchise that was a favorite of mine. So I'm, I'm just absolutely loving this game. There are 16 chapters in this game as opposed to the 19 of the original. And man, I'm just telling you, you're going to spend a decent amount of time here. There is a ton of content to play, a ton of content to enjoy, and just something always to keep you backtracking and going back to areas that you previously had explored, but now you have the means to access a, a certain locked drawer or even a room or whatever the case may be certain aspects of that Metroidvania gameplay style, and I absolutely love it. I can't talk enough about how much I'm loving this game. I will continue to talk about it in forthcoming episodes of Captain's Quarters as I continue to play through. Can't wait to get to the review portion of my time with this game and get that review out there for you guys. But that has been my time this past week with Resident Evil 4, the remake. I highly, highly recommend it if you're a Resident Evil fan, if you're an RE4 fan, if you are a survival horror fan, or just a good game fan. I can't recommend enough definitely checking out Resident Evil 4. Now, that wasn't the only game that I played this past week, believe it or not. So, before we move on a little bit further into the episode, let's go check out another game that I was playing this past week in Sonic Frontiers. Gamers, it feels like it's been a while since I've talked to you about any kind of playtime progress that I've made in Sonic Frontiers, and that's because it has been. It's been about two months now since I last played the game, and recently this past week, I had the sudden massive drive to get back to it and to jump back in that world because the first portion of new content as part of that roadmap for 2023 that Sega released back in December, I actually did a Captain's Quarters episode on the content that you can expect from that years worth of content they have planned out. Check that episode out if you want the details on that. But this past week, they released the first portion of that content. And the biggest thing that I was looking forward to of all was the photo mode for this game. So that was enough to drive me back to the game and be like, you know what? I need to get back to this game anyways. So let me jump in and see what this photo mode is all about. Most of the other content, unfortunately, there was four new things that were added as part of this first part of the roadmap. And Two out of the four things I was unable to access because they are pieces of content that you can't access until after you beat the story in the game. So considering I have not done that by a long shot, I did not get a chance to try out those new additions, if you will, to the game. But photo mode is the first piece of content that I want to talk about because that was the most exciting thing for me going into this whole year's worth of content. 
So when it comes to the photo mode, I got to tell you that if you know me and know the show, I am a massive fan of photo modes. I tend to lose myself countless hours over the course of a game, typically finding the perfect shot and just getting right angles. And I just, I have a lot of fun with photo mode. So I couldn't wait in the world that Sonic Frontiers presents for the player to play in. I knew it was going to be uh, and hoped that it would be a really fun time trying to get some really cool shots. Well, I unfortunately am here to tell you that I was overall disappointed with what the photo mode ended up being in the game. Now, the reason why is because there are a lot of features that I look for in a photo mode that this photo mode did not have. And one of those, a simple one in my opinion, is a logo. There was no logo, no Sonic Frontiers logo, no Sega logo, nothing. And overall, the photo mode was just very bare bones and basic. You did have some basic camera movement options, but you felt still very limited because there were these invisible walls everywhere. So you could only angle the shot so much. You could only go up or down. And even when you were moving up, down, left, and right, in and out, it was still very awkward and there was only so much space you could move before having to reposition the camera completely. So it just really took me out of the experience because of, of how frustrating it was, to be honest with you, just to try to line up a shot and get a good angle. They also did not have any emotes or poses or facial expressions or anything for Sonic, which I was baffled by because I could have swore in the marketing for this content, they had shown a screenshot that had Sonic throwing up the peace sign and looking at the camera. So I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Like you can have Sonic do poses and emotes and all that. Well, none of that is in there. So honestly, outside of the most basic options of moving a camera around to a very minor degree, and the fact that you can actually pause the action end game to take a photo mode as opposed to just pressing the screenshot capture button on whatever console you're playing on. I mean, outside of that, there's really nothing to it. So I was massively disappointed, especially for Sega to make it a point to highlight this as a new addition and part of the content roadmap coming in 2023. I was like, man, this is extremely underwhelming. So the main reason that I jumped back into the game was a letdown for me. But I am very happy to say that my time with it, and I spent just over three hours overall in my play session playing the game, that time was an absolutely amazing time in the game. Uh, again, I have just absolutely loved this game. I've always been a fan of Sonic, but I've never gotten to that level with Sonic where I've just like loved the world that I was in, the character, everything. I Never on that same level. And this game has brought me to that level, I am happy to say, gamers. And I am on the second island. I don't know if you guys remember from way back a couple months ago when I last updated you, but I did make it to the second island in the game. And that is Ares Island, if you do not remember or did not know. Kronos Island was the first island. I'm about 74% complete with everything to do on that island per the in-game tracking. Now, when it comes to this newest island of Ares, man, ooh, I thought I thought Kronos was a pretty decent-sized island to explore. Kronos ain't got nothing on Ares, gamers. Uh, that's how big Ares Island is. It is massive. And if you don't remember from the previous episode or didn't know, it is a kind of like a Grand Canyon desert-style island. So the first island was very much this kind of foresty, overcast skies, gloomy, rainy kind of environment. 
Well, this one is the exact opposite. It's very bright sunshine. During the day, there is a day-night cycle in the game. So during the daytime, it's very bright and sunny. And obviously, you just kind of feel that heat of that desert heat, if you will. And there's a lot of browns and whatnot, but it's still beautifully done and is an amazing environment to explore. There's all kinds of canyons and just massive, tall, mountainous structures that work perfectly in this game I mean, for Sonic because of the grinding and jumping and uh, just speed that you need to get all of these different jumps in and I have just absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. The enemy types are very different in this island as they are in each island. And I've had a lot of fun trying to figure out each one. They're not crazy hard, but each one has a different strategy to it to defeat it. There is the tank enemy type, which is uh, just as you would suggest or think that it would be, is a massive enemy that you, you have to figure out how to get that guy taken down. And once you figure it out, it's pretty easy, pretty simple. But that's the point is I love that in this game, there are your cannon fodder enemies that you can take out by just kind of running up to them and mashing the X button to punch and kick. But then there's other ones where you do have to find out a little specific strategy to take them down. So I really enjoyed the enemy types in this game. It's just things like that mixed in with the character of Knuckles is the character in this island that you're trying to rescue. Each island, the first island had Amy was the character you were going after. Knuckles is the character in this island and I honestly forgot how much I like Knuckles. He cracks me up. He is a fun character. So if you didn't realize, all of Sonic's friends have basically been split between their kind of half in this computer world and like glitch in the system kind of way and half in the real world. And Sonic is having to do these different things, uh, whether it's different tasks around the island that you can come across, puzzles you figure out. And there are these different medals that you get, memory uh, collectibles is what they're called. And these little memory tokens, those are what you use to kind of infuse the split being of Knuckles or Amy or Tails, probably I'm assuming in the next island, whoever it may be. And you just continue to do this at different spots around the map. So the game requires you to do a certain amount of tasks before you have enough of those memory tokens in order to progress the story. And then obviously there are the different areas that you can go to uh, spread throughout the island that you have to use vault keys and uh, different things for in order to access. Uh, there are classic style Sonic levels that are timed and you get all kinds of different rewards for doing better time. And as I was exploring the canyons and the desert regions of Ares Island, there is a lot of different seeds that you collect and there are two different types of seeds in the game. And each one of these seeds is what actually allows you to upgrade Sonic, whether it's increasing his ring capacity, essentially his health, or his speed. And let me tell you, they both are very crucial in the overall progression of the game and your ability to do things and stay alive longer, obviously, with the rings. But the speed also plays a very important role because... There are the classic Sonic levels that I've referred to before. Those you obviously are timed, so you have to have the quickest speed possible if you want to get to it. And the better speed you have, the more likely you are to hit that goal and whatever that speed goal may be. But also, as you're exploring the world, it's actually just really cool to see and feel the increase in your speed as you explore. Plus, the more speed you have, the more things you may be able to do and areas you may be able to access. 
So had a lot of fun leveling up Sonic and keeping him going. I've got him over level 10 in each the rings and his speed at this point. So definitely look forward to continuing to do that. There is, of course, the little tiny little rock people. The cocoa is what they're called, spread throughout the world. And basically, as you collect them, you can return them to uh, another elder cocoa as well and trade those in for different things as you see fit. Now, there's just so many different things, gamers, that I was doing in this game this past three hours that I played, and it was so much fun, and I absolutely love this game. I really wish I had the time to focus on it more than what I have been able to, but uh, as time goes on, I will continue to come back to it, and that'll be the plan, and hopefully continue to advance and to love it as much as I have in the time that I've spent in these first two islands. So that was really what I put my time into this past week when it comes to Sonic. I did have one more game that I put some time into that I would like to talk to you about, and that game is Hogwarts Legacy. Gamers, when it comes to talking about Hogwarts Legacy, I did briefly go over my massive time already with the game in a previous episode of Captain's Quarters just two weeks ago. But I didn't really go into a whole lot of details as to what exactly it was specifically that I did. Now, this past week and the time frame that I had to play the game before Resident Evil 4's launch, I was able to put another roughly six or seven hours into the game. And during that time, my goal, I really wanted to complete the second trial. There are a total of four trials in the game, and I really wanted to make it to what I would consider that halfway point as the overall game is concerned. But I did not do that. I was able to get a lot more exploring done in the Highlands, which is the massive open world mountainous region that is surrounding Hogwarts, which is located in the center of the Highlands. And there is just so much to do. I mean, like I had mentioned previously, there are environmental puzzles. There's Merlin trials, which are basically that's what they are. You have all these different ruined castles that are there for you to explore. There is ancient magic hotspots, basically, that you can go to and do the little puzzles associated with that so you can increase your magic meter. There's just incentives for everything. And you can explore whether it's on your foot or by broom, or I finally at this point have the ability to fly a hippogriff or any kind of flying beast. So I have had like this baby dragon that I've been flying on. I have the hippogriff. I honestly still prefer, though, flying around on my broom. I can't explain to you enough how awesome it feels. The controls, the sense of movement while you're playing and, and doing the, those sequences, it's just awesome. But when it comes to other specifics, I mean, the main story, I did do a decent amount of quests when it was right down to it. But there was more, I would say, side content that I did. The most frustrating part of my play session this past week, though, was out of that seven hours, I had spent almost half of it on one puzzle sequence. And I'm not even exaggerating. And if you're doing the math, you are correct if you came up to about three-ish hours that I spent on this one puzzle sequence. It was absolutely infuriating. I am somewhat relieved and have a peace of mind that it wasn't just me because my wife was also playing through the game and had also told me that she spent close to three hours trying to figure out this room on her own as well. And essentially what it is is you have, it's a side quest, so don't feel too concerned if you're not worried about doing side quests that you're going to be at a point in the main story where you're just stuck like this. Or maybe you decide a lot earlier than we did 
<laughs> to look up a, a hint or some help for how to get past that sequence in the game. But for me anyways, it was really, really infuriating because I, uh, I got a certain sense of pride, right? You know, you want to figure it out. It's like, nah, I can get this. But what it is, it's essentially multiple rooms that in each room, there are massive blocks, some of them connected, some of them individual, and you have to move these blocks around and connect them or not connect them in order to reach either across a chasm or up to a certain height to gain access to another ledge and continue to move forward into the next room or the ending of that puzzle area. And let's just say it was it was exhausting <laughs> mentally and it, it was just it really put a halt on my sense of progress in the game and my sense of fun because I was just having a great time. I mean, I'm constantly in that game customizing my character's look and just enjoying the the spells and the combat as you basic exploration your way through uh, whether it's Hogsmeade or the Highlands. I mean, there's just so much there to do, as I always have been saying about this game. There's just so much content there. So there's always something to keep you busy and have fun with. And then to come to something like this, it just really kind of derailed and, and kind of just put a complete stop, a wall right there in front of my sense of fun and progression. But overall, I ultimately did bite the bullet and looked up how to get past this room because I wanted to at least progress past it and move along the story a little bit before Resident Evil 4 came out. I did do this and I did initiate the final quest of this second trial season, as I put it before, where each trial is associated to a season of the year, spring, summer, fall, and winter. So I am right there about to go into the beginning of that final quest to get that trial started. Now, my plan is when I finish Resident Evil 4, because that's my focal game at this point, I will go back to Hogwarts and focus on it and try and make my goal be to complete it by the time that Star Wars Jedi Survivor releases at the end of April. So that was my time in Hogwarts Legacy this past week and all of the games that I put in front of me and really thoroughly enjoyed my time and my gaming sessions. So now, let's find out out of all of that, though, what was my highlight of the week? Gamers, if I were to ask you to put money down on what you would say, I guarantee you, I bet money that the highlight of Hulking Yoda's gaming week this past week is Resident Evil 4, would you be pretty confident that you'd make some money on that bet? As crazy as it may sound, I am here to tell you that you would in fact lose money on that bet because my highlight of the week was the three-ish hours that I spent with Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic Frontiers. I, I can't tell you enough. As I said earlier in the episode, I absolutely loved every second I was playing that game. It just, you know, again, I have thoroughly enjoyed what I've played before this most recent session, but... For whatever reason, everything just resonated with me to such a high level. I was just loving every aspect of what I was doing as I explored Ares Island. The visuals, the controls, the old school cyberspace levels, the navigation around Ares Island and the different grindings and just the enemy types and figuring out how to take down the tank and just... It was just all these things combined together. Yeah, sure, the photo mode disappointed me a little bit, but overall, the experience in general was just 
so good. And I mean, it even prompted me to get back to the Sonic the Hedgehog live action movie that I had never finished before. And I still haven't finished it, unfortunately. I did watch about the next half hour of it. But regardless, my point is, it got me to that point where I was just like, man, I am loving me some Sonic. I want some more Sonic universe stuff. Like, I just want to stay in that world with these characters. And I was just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying my time. So as much as I loved Resident Evil 4 this past week, I got to give the nod to Sonic Frontiers as my highlight of the week. Now let's go check out some buried treasure gaming chests that I had for you and see what the tips are inside. Gamers, my tips this week are coming to you from Resident Evil 4. And the reason why I want to share these with you is I feel like I've been very successful when using this combination of attack, if you will, when it comes to basic villagers in the game. So what I mean is there are melee options for you in a roundhouse kick. There is the use of the knife as well as obviously your guns. So here's what I would suggest doing because I think it's a nice combination and a great way to keep villagers away from you as well as conserve ammo. So for me, I always, my staple gun is always just the base handgun. Now, obviously, I've upgraded it throughout my play and maxed it out, but always obviously go for the headshot. You might get that classic Resident Evil perfect shot, that sweet spot on the head where it gets that cherry pop going, but it doesn't always happen. So if you do get a couple of well-placed headshots, though, nine times out of ten in my experience, it will stagger the enemy. And when this happens, there's a little icon that you'll see pop up around their head or arm because they'll actually raise their arm up and kind of rub around their head area as if they're kind of dizzied or kind of disarrayed. So when that icon pops up, run, sprint towards them real quick before the icon goes away because you only have a short window to activate this. And when you get close enough on the PlayStation, the prompt button is X. So you press X for melee and Leon will usually either do a front just kick to the face or a roundhouse kick, knocking the enemies on the ground. Now, like I said earlier, a lot of the enemy types that are just your basic weaker villagers, a lot of times this is enough to kill them. Two shots to stagger them in the head, run up to them, roundhouse kick them, boom, they're dead. Other times, they will wiggle around on the ground, and you want to look out for that because if they wiggle around on the ground, that means they're about to transform and pop out one of those tendrils of their heads or go with a sideways head look, which is absolutely terrifying, but I love it at the same time. So they come at you a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more powerful at that point. So you want to stop that from happening. And the way to do that is to watch for the icon when they're wiggling around of on the PlayStation, R2 is what you want to press. And Leon will stab them in the neck head area and that will stop the transformation from happening. And again, they're dead. Sure, it's a little wear and tear on your combat knife, but that's okay. You still only used at this point two, maybe three shots from your pistol. Now, in addition to this, there is also another thing to look for when you are in the combat scenarios with these enemies. I would always say that if they are holding either a stick of dynamite or a torch, always try to shoot these things out of their hands first. Same thing with little hatchets. Even the pitchforks they're running around at with some of you, uh, some of your villagers will come at you with a pitchfork. But always try to shoot the objects out of their hands. 
And it's, it's kind of obvious and understood, but I'm telling you, it's great when you knock a stick of dynamite they've just lit out of their hands and they don't get away fast enough and they inadvertently kill themselves. Or if they have Molotov cocktails and you shoot that straight right out of their hand, it'll immediately detonate it and they'll light on fire. And thankfully, some of the enemy AI is pretty dumb and they'll still come walking towards you and try to walk through the fire, which will inadvertently catch them on fire and you're just knocking out a bunch of enemies all at once after just one bullet shooting the bottle. So that is my way of conserving ammo and just trying to combine all those different elements together. I will also say that it's good that when you get the opportunity and you learn the parry move with your combat knife, keep that in mind as well. Sometimes it even works out nicer to have those enemies that run at you. If they're running at you, I would suggest just wait for them to get to you and swing at you to do and initiate the parry move, which then staggers them, leaving them open vulnerable to an attack. And that usually also helps set you up for success. A lot of times I would just go into straight melee mode, hold down L1 and just start stabbing the fools in the face. Uh, and they go down pretty quickly after that for me. Again, these are typically the base villagers, which is the most quantifiable enemy type that you'll see throughout your course of play in the game. But that's this week's Barry Treasure Gaming Tips. Now let's go check out this week's Captain's Decree. Gamers, this past week obviously has been very much oriented on Resident Evil for my playtime with it. And because of that, my Captain's Decree this week is which Resident Evil remake do I want the most next? Why do I think it should be that next? And what other games in the series do I think they should make remakes of or not make remakes of? So obviously, if you've listened to the episode, if you've listened to me before in the past, you know that Code Veronica is my most wanted and desired remake. It has been since Resident Evil 2's remake came out years ago, and I get it. They did three first and blah, 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 blah. But Code Veronica is obviously where I want to be. I want to play that current-gen version of that game. I just think it fits perfectly and the story, ah, just like I said earlier, it would just be an amazing experience, I feel like, in today's modern tech. I also feel like Resident Evil Zero, having been out probably about 20 years or more now, it is due high time for a remake. Uh, I would also love to see the original Resident Evil get remade. But outside of those core three, I really don't feel that five and six are necessary to get remade. I would be more interested in a Resident Evil 5 remake than I would a Resident Evil 6 remake. I was just really disappointed with that game. And it was honestly, by the time it was all said and done with, and I had finished up all the campaigns in the game, of which there were four, I was kind of bored and way past ready to move on from that game. But if they decided, you know, there's rumors out there that, uh, you know, Capcom is like, oh, well, we kind of maybe we want to make right what we made as far as mistakes are concerned with Resident Evil 6 and remake it the way that it should be. I'm all about that, but not until after <laughs> the other games. I would rather you do Code Veronica Zero and the original before you even think about doing five or six. But now I'm seeing rumors online that, oh, you know, is the ending of RE4 hinting at a Resident Evil 5 remake? And I also unfortunately go to in my mind where Capcom had said about the reason why they chose to do the RE4 remake after the RE3 one is because they said, oh, well, it's the next number. It's, you know, four, it's sequential. It comes after three. And it's like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> come on. 
Um, because I, I'm going to tell you guys, gamers, if they put out a Resident Evil 5 remake and then a Resident Evil 6 remake before they would ever do a, a Code Veronica remake, oh, I'm going to be one disappointed guy. I'm going to tell you what, though. I will still be there on day one to play all of them. <laughs> because as much as I maybe didn't like 6 and as much as I was disappointed with 5, I would still be there. Because... I know that being that it's a true remake, I trust Capcom to do it as a true remake, not just a remaster or an updated version of the exact same games that were before. It would give me a, another opportunity to pay, basically maybe give it a second shot as far as the games are concerned and, and me. So we'll see what happens. Uh, only time will tell, obviously. But man, Code Veronica, the original Resident Evil, and Zero are really just the three that I would love to see remade. And hopefully Capcom listens to me and a lot of other fans out there that I know have been crying and yelling and screaming for a Code Veronica remake. That'll do it for this week's episode. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com as well as searching for Hulk and Yoda on the PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on Instagram, on social media, at Lost at Sea Gaming, as well as on Twitter, at Lost at Sea, G-A-M-I-N, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing. <laughs>